0: with me to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus chapter 18 is, is where we're going to be at today and instead of just reading like I typically do uh, through the entire chapter, what I've chosen to do here because of time and some things like that and uh, is is to kind of work through the chapter and as I'm working through it I'm going to be reading that to you um, as, as much as I possibly can. And so i um, If you've been following along with us, we've been working through the book of Exodus. And today we come to the book of Exodus chapter 18 with a sermon titled, Not Alone. Not Alone. So last week in chapter 17, um, I I preached a sermon called, He is with Us. And I was speaking directly about um, how God was establishing as the banner, the Lord is the banner, what he was declaring to them was to answer the question from chapter 17 verse 7 where the Israelites are asking the question is the Lord with us and we were all really open and honest about man we've asked that question before god where are you at are you with us and through the war through the battle that we saw last week we see we see god once again establish and reveal himself to the people in declaring, I am right here, I am the flagpole, I am the standard, I am God, I am your banner, rally, I'm the rallying point of the truths, I'm the rallying point of of the Christian church. Look to me, I am here, I am with you. And how all of that pointed to the cross of Jesus as being the ultimate banner that is pointed to us, that in our greatest time of need, that we should look and cling to the cross. Because that is brothers and sisters, all that we truly have. So this is kind of a part two to that, but it's not just that God is going to show us that he is with us, but today he's going to be showing us that we need each other, that we cannot do this alone, all right? So if you're also new to mission, every so often a text will will work its way up into this, because we work through books of the Bible, that that causes us to have a family meeting, all right? Much like this is going to be much like a membership meeting to some degree, all right? This is very family orchestrated. I'm going to be talking some about us here at Mission Church. And so when I do that, just like you have hopefully have family meetings in your home, those are good things to have. I'd encourage you to do that if you don't. Um, is that, man, we've got to work through things. We've got to say some things. We've got to make sure that we're being clearly heard In all of that. makes sense? So welcome. Welcome to our family meeting. I'm sorry you found a Cheeto underneath the couch. All right? Let's do this. During COVID, um, Laura and I got to, to watching a show that's on Netflix, and we came to realize that it was on regular TV as well. Uh, but we had a little bit of extra time on our end early in COVID, right? Everything was shut down, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't spend any time. So we, we started watching this show. And, and as many of you guys know, like, I love the outdoorsman. I'm such a wannabe outdoorsman. Like, I just absolutely love hiking and fishing and hunting and all of those sorts of things. And as time allows, I try to, to do those things, but it doesn't allow for very much. So I watch a lot of those things. On te- I'm living vicariously through television, of outdoorsmen, specifically those in Alaska, and we got to watching this show, and this show is called Alone. Anybody ever seen this show? All right, so we absolutely love this show called Alone. I think it's on the History Channel, and what they do is they take about 10 men or women, and they take them out into this remote wilderness, typically up in Canada or Alaska, and it's where all of these grizzly bears live, and they take them on a boat, and you get like a, you know, you know a backpack and a camera. And here's the, the, the reality of it all, is these people are all living and surviving in this grisly infested place, but they're doing so alone. They take them to two, 10 different locations. They can have no interaction with the outside world. And the person who stays out in the middle of wilderness with pretty much a roll of duct tape and a survival knife Guess what? You win five hundred thousand dollars. We've watched this show. We're on the, the, the newest season. I think there's like seven seasons now. Or the eighth season just came out on regular television. And literally we have seen people like get dumped off on the boat in an hour be like, hey, gotta come get me. An hour. People make it an hour. Alright? They're like, I'm out. I saw a bug. Right? I'm done. I'm out. Come come get me, all right? And the guys are like, well, Johnny's done. I mean, they're doing the U-Haul on the boat. They're coming right back, get him. All right, I need to go home, (laughs) all right? You'll see all kinds of people, and they'll they'll live, or they'll stay, and some I think have stayed up to 100 days out in the wilderness, living off the land, all right? Um, Other people, they have to leave. Maybe they get hurt. The biggest thing is malnutrition, they would waited to nothing. You know, their number one reason, though, in all of the seasons of why people quit, it's not grizzly bears. It's not getting hurt. It's the isolation that kills them. We see from the book of Genesis that you and I, are meant to be in relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. And yet, brothers and sisters, we see over and over and over in Scripture is that in ministry itself, it is not good for you and I to be alone. Isolation kills. One of God's measures and means of grace is to give us healthy relationships specifically that are centered on the person and work of Jesus and his mission. Don't forget the and his mission. All right? Isolation. This morning, I'm going to give you some of the insights into the life of pastors. And at first, this is going to sound really self-serving and woe is me and all of that sorts of things. But I want you to know that my aim this morning, specifically here at Mission Church, is not in any way to to guilt you or to shame you or any of those sorts of things. My hope is is that ultimately that you will see Jesus and that you will be deeply encouraged, all right? Everybody got that? I love Mission Church. I pray that God gives me a total of 50 years here. I've got 10, about 10 in, all right? So I hope that I'm an 80-year-old man and in some way still one of your pastors, all right? So everybody got that? All right, let's do this then. Exodus chapter 18. Not alone. Not alone. In Exodus chapter 18, it says this. If I can turn there. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that the God that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zephora, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with their, her two sons, the name of which is Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in the foreign land, and the name of the other, Eleazar. For he had said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from... The sword of Pharaoh, Jethro's Moses father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Larry, love you. Don't get any ideas. That's my father-in-law over here, okay? And they asked each other, if their welfare had went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done, in Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. Now the Lord had delivered them, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering, and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. All right, let's take a break there real quick. So this guy shows up. Again, the Israelites, Moses, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're camped out there. All of a sudden, they get word that this guy named Jethro, who is the daddy of Zipporah, which is Moses' wife, and the granddaddy of these two boys, is going to come and visit them. We've not met Jethro since... Early in the book of Exodus, when when Moses is running from Pharaoh after killing an Egyptian man, and he comes into a priest, a a Midianite Midianite priest named Jethro, and uh, uh, Moses saves the daughters and everything like that, and so Jethro gives Moses as a gift. One of his daughters it's Sephora, and then uh, God visits with Moses, tells Moses, you got to go back to Egypt, right? Tell Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And so um, Moses leaves his family. He, he goes back to Egypt. And so it's probably been, I don't know, uh, a few years a year or so since moses has, has seen them and, and it's been a while since he's seen jethro but all of a sudden they're back out in the middle of the wilderness they're close to jethro's home and jethro's like all right i'm gonna come visit with moses so he goes and he visits with moses and again there's anywhere between two hundred thousand to 2 million people out in the middle of the wilderness god has delivered the israelites and what does moses do Moses, because he has experienced the living God, can't help but tell Jethro all that God has done. And how do we see Jethro respond? He responds by rejoicing. He responds in worship. We don't know for sure if Jethro was actually a a God follower. He was a priest of a, a version of Abraham's family, and all these sorts of things, but it's it's very likely that Jethro is a a pagan worshiper to some sort of, or has really bad theology about who God is. He has some working understanding, but in this moment, he comes to realize, as the Bible tells us, what? That the God of the Israelites is the real, true, and living God, and he worships him. He sacrifices to them. They, They worship God together, all right? Then we continue on. In the story here, verse 13. First, the next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father in law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they, have, when they have a dispute, they come to me and decide between one person and the other. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. All right, so let's camp out there just for a second. So what is Moses doing? They're camped out for a little while. Again, at, at the foot of the mountain of God. We'll learn more about that next week. And lo and behold, what is this large group of people made up of? Well, they're made up of humans. And any time you get two humans together, what do you got? A problem. Moses is is potentially, I, I fall into the camp of probably believing that there are probably millions of people out there in the middle of the desert with him. So you can imagine all of the conflicts that are taking place. Man, somebody stole my, you know, One hump camel. And I know that that one's mine because it's the only one in this entire congregation that's only got one hump. Look at the bottom of his foot. I wrote Andy on the bottom. It's mine. All right? You can imagine all of the quarreling that's taking place. Well, you know, this guy over here, Zachariah, he, he took this or, or they took that or, or, or I heard this argument that was taking place. All of this turmoil was going on and so Moses is having to spend from early in the morning till late at night essentially being the judge and again, the mediator for God between these two disputes. And this is what's taking place. Why? We, we see here that Moses loves God. We see that that Moses loves these people. Moses is the one who's, again, called to to be their leader. I mean, isn't this what they pay Moses to do? Obviously, they didn't pay Moses, but isn't that the mindset, though? Isn't that his job to do this? Isn't that his role to do this? To get up and be over the people and judge all the people and mediate for all of the people. This is what he is supposed to be doing with his time. See, like like lots of men in this room, we find our identity in what we do, don't we do, brothers? What our job is. It's the first question we ask, our second question. My name is Eric, what do you do? Tells you a lot about a person in our culture, especially among men, in what you do. We find our identity in those things, and that can be true of the person in true in full-time ministry as well. It can be hard to see me as anything other than a pastor. Pastor Justin. That's what he is. That defines who he is. Right? As you always see a person in that position as that, it is, again, a struggle for identity. Moses is spinning again from sunup to sundown, just listening to all of these stuff and counseling people and, and working through all of these issues inside of these people's lives. I mean, Moses is always on to the neglect of his family, probably to the neglect of his his physical health, of his spiritual well-being, all of these things. Moses was a one-man show trying to do all of the work of the ministry all alone. This ministry has to be done, doesn't it? It's not like he's, you know, uh, just trying to have a bake sale to raise money for the congregation so they can get further on their trip. Right? This is a ministry that, that need, people need help with, with their problems, right? Well, let's keep reading, see what happens. The next verse there, verse 18, or excuse me, verse 17. So Moses' father in law, Jethro, said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all of the people, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide among themselves so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all of this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men from all of Israel, and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided among themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So the new guy... Jethro steps into the scene, he's watching all that Moses is doing upon this seat of of judgment amongst the people, and and Moses steps in. Now, uh, my education is in leadership and leadership theory, and uh, we actually use this even in secular education to talk about what is called the Jethro principle, and that's explained from this very passage. It's coming to the leader and illustrating to that leader, hey brother, hey sister, like, like you can't do all of this on your own. Like, you need other people around you to support you in this ministry. You, you need people to help you carry this burden. See, Jethro not only cared about himself and his family, and I think that he also ultimately cared about all of God's people at this point, but he, in this particular moment, he cared about Moses. He cared about the leader. Moses meant something to him. Moses is caring for all of these people over and over and over. And there's all of these people, they're just standing around. And so you can imagine, if it gets hot like it is going to be today, and we're all standing outside just waiting to speak with someone, and there's the potential of us hundreds, if not thousands of people waiting in the heat to talk to one guy, not only is that guy miserable, but everyone else is miserable as well. I love Disneyland. I love Disney World. I've never been to Disneyland. Disney World is awesome. But you know the worst part about Disney World? It's the waiting in line. July heat in Orlando. It's miserable. Everyone is miserable, except for 30 seconds when they're on the ride. We see in this place that that Jethro, he he cares for the leader. He cares for the people because if he knows, man, if we have a healthy leader, guess what that's going to translate to? It's going to translate to healthy people. If we have a man of God who fears God, who knows the word of God, who preaches the word of God, and we will submit to him, imitate his way of life, as we'll see inside the New Testament, all these sorts of things that that if he is healthy, if his mind is healthy, if his body is healthy, if his marriage is healthy, if his kids are healthy, all of these sorts of things, if he is healthy, that that is going to translate and it's going to ooze out onto all of us. We will all become healthy because as leadership goes, so goes the church. You will not outgrow the maturity of your pastors. In many cases. If you do, you know what you do? You leave. You leave. Or you're committed to serving in such a way and and contributing to the maturity that you also help their maturity grow. He says, Moses, what are you doing? Is that how we operate? What are you doing? We all have blind spots. You know why we call them blind spots? Because we can't see them ourselves. Moses has a huge blind spot. But what are the people doing? Man, keep doing it. Just keep doing this. Just keep doing it. Do it, 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 do it. But somebody had to step in to pastor the pastor to say, you can't do this anymore. Like, you, you have got to stop this. We, we love you. He says, you will certainly wear out. In the Hebrew, uh, what that means is, is that it, it literally means like a, a grass blade or a plant is going to wither up and die. He says to Moses, if you keep doing this, you're, going, you're not going to make it. You are not going to finish this race if you continue to place all of this burdens of the ministry upon you. It is not going to take it. You're going to be overwhelmed and you will not finish. How many of you in this room know a pastor who did not make it? Didn't make it. The stress is going to kill you. He's saying, Moses, I'm concerned about your affections. I'm concerned about your health. Jethro was warning Moses, but he was also helping to provide a solution for Moses. He he realizes that, Moses, you're you're going to lose heart. It's, It's too heavy. You're going to be crushed under the weight of this ministry. And Moses, it's unhealthy for you. And if it's unhealthy for you, it's going to be unhealthy for them. Aren't we going to see in the book of Exodus where, where Moses gets a little stressed out? Where he gets a little stressed out later. And when he does, it ain't good. <laughs> for him or for the people. All right? So what does he tell Moses to do? He tells Moses, catch, see if you catch this. He tells Moses to pray, to petition the needs of the people to God. He, he tells Moses to teach. You need to be teaching people. You need to be teaching all that, I, all that God is showing you and teaching his, his leaders, you need to be teaching that to other people. And then the third thing that he tells Moses to do is he says, then you need to equip other qualified men to serve as well in these positions so that they can judge and that they can pastor and that they can mediate over these smaller groups of people. He's saying to them, you've got to be freed up to do what God is calling you to do, and in order to do that, ministry must be given away. It is not something for one guy or a few guys to hoard, but it is the responsibility of everyone inside of this people group. So Moses, you pray, you teach, you equip, You send out these people, all right? That's what faithful men do. You need to find able men, qualified men. And he gives us that example. Men who fear God, uh, faithful men, trustworthy men, men who can't be swayed by money. And the aspects of this is that if they were to come to one of the judges or one of the, the leaders and they were to offer them some extra money and they were to take that money in the form of a bribe, well, we don't need leaders like that. Moses, find these people. And then what I want you to do is, is I want you to take all of the number of people and then I want you to divide them up into smaller groups. Because even a qualified man can only handle so many people before he becomes overwhelmed and burnt out in distressed. This is... Policy and procedure, if you want to use those terminology. Does this leadership pipeline sound familiar to anyone? Yes. Because if you skip ahead to the New Testament, Paul is is telling Timothy and these other guys how to raise up leaders, and he gives them the job description. And you know what he tells them? That pastors, shepherds, elders, those are all synonymous for the same position within a church. He's saying in this plurality of elders, here's what the elders need to be doing. Here's what the pastors need to be doing. They need to be praying, right? Isn't that what he says? They need to be preaching the gospel, teaching these truths, and they need to be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Isn't that what we see? We see this larger body being broken up into smaller groups so that they can be handled and that they can be managed. It's very reflective of uh, some things that we have tried to do here at Mission. All right. So everybody kind of understand what's happening in 18. It works well. It works great. Jethro goes on his way. And you're sitting here, and you're like, hmm. What does this have anything to do with us? You're like, man, this, this is one of those pastors' conference. Yeah, you should have preached it there, or one of your leadership classes, Eric. Yeah, I can understand why you. But what what in the world? Like, where's Jesus in this text? Right? How is this gonna motivate me? I, I'm not getting the you know, the Holy Ghost chill bumps or anything when I read this passage. I mean, where's covered in the blood? Where's all of these things? Well, thank goodness that the the Bible gives us some insights, not only into the greater, like, 35 heavenly level viewpoints of things about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, but there's also some very practical nuggets that are, are descriptive but can help prescribe wisdom to us in how we should function as a church. All right? So remember what I said to you in the introduction with where I'm going right here. I love you, and guess what I know? I know that you love me. All right? We good? The year was 1993. Some of you were not born. In 1993, um, I was 15 years old. And I grew up right down the road in Franklin, Kentucky, as many of you guys know, small town around seven to 8,000 people. It's where my daddy grew up. It's where my mama met my daddy at church, all those sorts of things. I grew up in this really small town. I was born here in Bowling Green on Hospital Hill. I used to think forever I was actually born in the Stars and Stripe water tower there on the old Hospital Hill. That's where I, I thought I didn't know about all that, okay? I thought that's where they made babies, was inside that water tower. For years, did I not? My mom was here. She can... Say amen, hallelujah. Hallelujah, all right? I grew up in Franklin. Again, small town. There was nothing to do. We went to Bowling Green or Nashville to do anything unless you went out to spray paint lane and got wasted and some other things that are unmentionables, all right? Some of us are Franklin. Hannah, we survived, right? Uh, Sis, we survived. And, And in this place, though, at homecoming in Franklin is not like homecoming around Warren Central or South Warren or Bowling Green High. Homecoming in Franklin is the entire place shuts down there was a, a a parade like with girls on top of wagons and you actually had like the pom-poms I was in charge of that my senior year that entire parade and all that there's these competitions we paint all of the windows in the in the town I mean the complete town shuts down and on that Friday night typically we were playing some place like Uh, Portland, Tennessee, or Bowling Green High School, or Warren Central, or something like that, on those Friday nights, but it, it, it created this entire week of Spirit Week at the class, and there were all of these class competitions, right, and it was serious for some of us, and if you weren't serious about it, we didn't like you, all right? But for some of this, this is extremely serious. So they had like Powder Puff, that's what girls playing football, flag football and all those guys were the coaches and you could raise money for different charities, class that brings in the most change. Everybody follow me? And so there's this huge week in this small town that I grew up in. Well, in 1993, my sister was a senior and I was a freshman. I was 15. And after school, they had this competition that originated, I think, back in like the 50s. And it's something called a car tram. Car tram. You can look this up later. And what they do is they find the biggest hooptie that you can find. If you don't know what the word hooptie means, that's 90 slang for a big large car. This particular hoopti was a yellow impala. And what you did was, was you you brought your your kids, as many people from your class, and you tried to squeeze as many humans as possible into that, she- that Impala. And the class that gets the most kids, most high school teenagers, into this vehicle, they got so many points for Spirit Week, and at the end of the week, at the pep rally, they would say, and the seniors win, because they always gave it to the seniors, no matter what we did as fresh. But I had a lot of school spirit. And so I went to this competition, and, and I saw three of my classmates. They get into the back of this yellow shed, uh, impala, and, and they're lined up there. And they were asking students. They were like, okay, what we need is we need somebody to lay in the floorboard. And you remember old cars? They used to have that hump in the middle, right? That's where me and my sister used to sleep to go on vacation. We were so small, all right? And, and so um, we go, and, and, and they're wanting somebody to lay on the, the student's sneakers across their feet in the bottom of this impala. At that time, I was about probably five foot, seven, five foot eight. I probably weighed 135 pounds. I was one of the smallest people out there. And I was like, "I'll go." And I literally remember like doing like this right here, running toward the car and jumping in and landing on the sneakers of my classmates. Dumb move. I will never forget this day. I'll I'll, I'll never, I'll absolutely never forget laying in the bottom of that floorboard as they put my classmates one after one as they crammed classmate after classmate after classmate on top of me. Brothers and sisters, friends, like. In the bottom of that floorboard, there there were so many people on me that it blocked out the sun. It's the darkest moment I've ever been in my entire life. They end up putting 21 other kids on top of me that day. I could not move. That hump in that back seat rested right on my diaphragm. I could not breathe. And there was absolutely no getting out of this moment. I could hear all my classmates, and I could pick out their voices even today of of them laughing and saying, come on, get more people in, get more people in. They're they're all laughing, and they're carrying it on. and, And all of this is taking place, and they're having such a great time. And yet where I am, as they're laughing and carrying on, no one could hear me screaming. I was surrounded by people. But I, I, I was absolutely all alone. I remember freaking out in that moment as I was, I was just yelling and like, please get out, get out, please. I'm dying. I'm, I'm a, I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe. And yet no one came to my rescue. And I remember in that moment, and this is even before, though I'd been raised in church. This is before I would say that I was a follower of Jesus. I remember just saying that moment is like, I've I got to calm down. And I remember saying in that moment, like, I stopped screaming. I couldn't move. I mean, my arms were just pressed into the sneakers. I'm fighting for every breath in complete darkness and I just say Jesus are you with me? I don't know how long I was stuck in that car it seemed like forever. I don't know how long I was in that dark pit But I just remember when I finally began to see sunlight and I got out of that car and I was acting super cool, I can't tell you how relieved I was to be alive. Being in Moses' position for a large group of people, and it doesn't equate exactly, I mean. I don't know how many people here today. There's not two million. I did go to Franklin. I know some basic math. All right. But this is not two million people. But being in the position that Moses was in, I can confess to you this. And maybe why I'm sharing this today is at the realization that I may not forever be your pastor. But maybe this will serve the next pastor of Mission Church or the next church that you attend. That wasn't the last time that I've ever felt that much pressure. That wasn't the last time I'd ever been that dark. That wasn't the last time that I i, I thought that I was going to shrivel up and die from the weight that has been placed upon me. Over the last 19 years of pastoring, I felt that way many a time. I've been surrounded by people, but wondering who was with me. And honestly, moments of asking God if He was with me as well. You know, this is the way that many pastors and church leaders are, are spiritually attacked. This week I had the opportunity to speak at this thing that I go to once a month for a bunch of pastors. And uh, I, was, I was asked to speak at it, and so I, 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 I used some things from last week and some things that I was going to say um, uh, this week. But I was speaking to my, my peers, like other pastors, and I was trying to affirm their hearts and care for their souls and speak to them about being alone, about being overwhelmed, about being squeezed in ministry about withering and dying and, and wondering if, if anybody else, because even if, even if Jesus is the banner, it's like, man, I, I need some, some flesh and bone next to me. I need to know that, that somebody is with me. You get that? And as I was sharing with the, these friends and these brothers, trying to encourage them, after I finished my last prayer, there was some continual conversation that we had And one of the guys immediately spoke up and he said, Eric, thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing. He was extremely encouraging me. Several people were encouraging me and I really appreciate that. And then the conversation swiftly moved to this statement and this is why I want to be very vulnerable and honest with you this morning is this is what their response is. This is the sermon every congregation needs to hear but that no one could ever or should preach. See, I don't know that you keep up with this, but since this is kind of what I do, pastors in divorce rates, pastors addicted to to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, um, pastors leaving. Most people who start out in the ministry, they don't retire being pastors. the number of pastors who have committed suicide in the last few years alone have seemed to, and maybe it's just because we're more aware of it, and some of them have been very high profile pastors, some who I do not know personally, but I've, I've, I've been in conferences, I've went to listen to these people, have shot themselves. And you know what I think the key thing is? right, wrong, or indifferent, is that they feel like they're alone. Jesus is with me. "Ah, That's true. That's what the Bible says. We're preachers. He is with us, but no one else is. That's how a lot of them feel. And that's what Jethro is trying to say to Moses in this moment. Hey, brother, if you keep doing this, you are not going make it you can't be a control freak you can't be over everything and if you would do it a hundred percent and give it a hundred percent but somebody else will give 70 percent it is better for it to be 70 percent good than you're hundred percent of you trying to do everything some great leadership principles here it was sad to me that my friends didn't feel like in their family in their church family they're like, why don't we do this? Eric, you send us the manuscript and we'll all specially guest speak at all of our different churches and preach this sermon to our friends' congregation so that they can hear these truths. Well, none of them had to preach Exodus 18 today. <laughs> Congratulations. like Voldemort. I've just given the sermon that no one should speak of. Sorry, Harry Potter reference Voldemort. You can't say his name. Sorry. Thank you, Ryland. At least we have one. Gryffindor. Gryffindor, for sure. My wife is Slytherin. Um, she is. <laughs> that wasn't me. Pastoring is tough. Being the leader is tough, and maybe, maybe here today, and you can equate it to, to whatever it is that you do. Because I think that there are some principles here. But since we're in this church family here, and I'm going to try to land this this plane here this morning, is a healthy church is not achieved by one man show. One of the marks of a healthy church is when it has a plurality of elders that means more than one pastor. My buddies surrounding this church building alone, some of them are in a single church, uh, a single pastor model, and I'm telling you they 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 want their congregation to hear this sermon and apply it. Because the single pastor church model, which is what I grew up in and I watched my childhood pastor he was faithful to the moment that he died. But I felt so sorry for him all the time because he was the janitor, he was the preacher, he, he did everything at that place. And there were lots of uh, uh, faithful women, my mom being one of those, who, who would come and help with all, all of these different things. But, but again, what, what he was doing, and yet what God had called him to do was totally two different things. A healthy church is, is not about the personality of, of one guy. Well, we go to this church because Apollos is there, and he's really funny. We go to this church because, man, the, the charisma of this guy, Woo! I mean, here's the deal. Because of COVID, we don't actually attend church anymore. We attend church online. Did you know that you can be a part of a church online? And there's this guy, and he's at this other state, and he's got this microphone, and he's real cool, and likes to wear really small shirts, and he's all got his muscles all beefed out, and he's got this dark voice, and he can preach, and he's got this microphone, and he says ha ha ha, and after he does like that, behind him they got a piano, it's like ding ding ding, right? And that's our pastor. That ain't your pastor. It's not your pastor. And I want you to know that that's a lie from sin, Satan, and death himself that can convince people that you can go to church by watching it on the television screen. That is not the church. The mark, one of the marks of a healthy church is a plurality of qualified men who are serving in the role of pastors. Right? That's why here at Mission, we started, we had two of us. It wasn't a one-man show. There was two of us. There was me and Justin. We went a little bit further along. You guys started coming to us. We started noticing it, and then you guys started coming to us, and you're like, man, if there needs to be another pastor at this church, and it's Todd Crosby. So we went to Todd. He was already a good friend of mine, and you were like, man, are you, do you aspire to be a pastor? And I absolutely, I aspire to be a pastor. Well, you know, we need to go through a season of evaluation in doing that to see, man, do you need to join this pastoral team? Uh, we've done that recently with Brian. That's why when he got up here, he said, I'm a pastoral candidate. He's in that season for an entire year. And usually he's like, oh, you want to be a pastor? Boom, you're a pastor. No. Moses find qualified men, men who fear God, who know the word, who aren't quick to be bribed. It should be a slow process to become an elder. But even those men alone don't make it a healthy church. We need qualified deacons and deaconesses. Those are men who act as servants over ministry and females who act as servants over ministry. And man, may you be encouraged here today. I cannot tell you what a blessing that it has been, especially since we have moved to this building here, our new location, that that we have seen uh, from our, our Sunday morning team to our first impressions to our hospitality to Um, security to audio, video, all those sorts of things, to Stephanie Beeson stepping up to handling mission kids, all all of these sorts of things. Those are deacons and uh, deaconesses who are stepping up to say, man, we we got to take this off of your plate so that you can be about praying and preaching and equipping. Because pastor, we love you too. Pastors, we love you too. We want to see you finish, brothers. And we want the benefit and the health of the church as a whole to be healthy. Next we have, inside of the healthy church, is these, again, these smaller groups that are broken up into things. But it's, it's ministers, which I prefer the term partners, like you need to become, be a partner, a ministry partner here at Mission Church. Because why? We are the members of the body. What you can do, I cannot do. I cannot do it. I love your kids. They tried to get me to be a youth, uh, a children's pastor, when I was about 21 years of age, and so I interned at a, a church, and they got lots of calls about me because sometimes I struggle to know what is appropriate, what's not appropriate. I said something to a kid, I didn't think that that was bad to say. It wasn't a nerdy, uh, a bad word or any of those sorts of things, but. The kid went home singing this made-up song that I had made up, and the mama starts calling me saying, this intern over here saying stuff at church, mm, I'm out. I'm out. I like to wrestle with your kids. Tickle them, right? Give them candy. Send them home. Some of you are great at that. the weight of ministry is is overwhelming at times if we have qualified men serving in a plurality of elders we have qualified men and women serving as deacons and deaconesses and if we have members who actually take their membership seriously and are taking their ministries seriously then, then we are much more likely to be a healthy church have you ever wondered this who's responsible for mission church ultimately jesus is and we are. We are. Who's responsible for evangelism inside of Mission Church? We are. If you walk across the parking lot today and you see a bubblegum wrapper, you know what the easiest thing to do? I ain't mine. You know who's responsible for that bubblegum wrapper? We are. And so I want to implore you today, and I want us to be better pastors and elders and leaders, and I want us to get back to, to praying and preaching and teaching and equipping. And, and what I think that the Lord is saying to us inside of this family meetings, inside of this, is that Mission Church, it is, it is time, like, like for years, I get it, we didn't have a building, we didn't have this, we didn't have all this sorts of things. but it is time for mission to get on mission. And so that means, man, yes, serving inside of these walls. And we we need somebody to take over the bulletins. We need somebody to take over the website. We need some, some singers, some, some drum. I don't, man, at this point, it's like if you play the spoons or that jug, like I don't care what it is. If you play all that secretly and and you'll come join this party, man, we, we, we need those things to happen. We need kids ministries. We need people. I mean, gosh, we are good at growing some weeds in our landscaping. Like, uh, this week we had a group of guys come because we need a mailbox. They don't have a mailbox at this place. They can't even put a mailbox in. Right? We need those things to take place on Sunday mornings, on Wednesday nights, and, uh, all, all of these sorts of things. But, but, but hear me, Mission Church, you specifically, if you're a member here, a ministry partner here, it is great to hand out a bulletin. It is great to run sound. Okay, All of that is part of being a part of this church family. But we've got to get really passionate because there's a bunch of Jethro's out there that need to hear the, about the living, true God. And we need to be about those people. In case you all haven't noticed, we're not in, the, in Old Stone. is that crazy? This is not Old Stone. There are internationals all over the place. There are people of every tribe, every color, And and you know whose responsibility it is to reach those people from the rich to the poor? Ours. We can't do this alone. Ministry, not alone. What does Jesus do? He sends out. He doesn't need people. Did you know that? Jesus doesn't need people to accomplish his mission. But he's established the means by which the mission is going to be accomplished and is sovereignly chosen that you and I we get to play in that and be involved in that. So Jesus is on the scene. His feet are touching the earth. And what does he do? All right, I need you and you. And y'all go here and preach the gospel. I need you and you. Y'all go here. You preach the gospel. You and you. He sends out the two, right? Sends them out by twos so that they're what? Not alone. He picks 12 people. One of them is the devil. But he knows that. It's part of his sovereign plan. He gets replaced. But what does he do? He picks these 12 guys. And what does he say? Go. Go multiply. Go share the gospel. Go, go be involved in these sorts of things. Brothers and sisters, at Mission Church, it is time, 2021. COVID's over. You had a year's break. Lord gave you all a sabbatical. I don't want to hear it. We're still every Sunday, me and Pastor Justin and Todd speaking into a camera. One day, so one of your kids got on there. It was like, hate face, hate face, hate face, hate face. And as we're preaching, it's like, hate face, hate face, hate face, hate face. You all got a year off. You should be rested. It is not time to gear down because, see, here's the thing. If we get overwhelmed and all these sorts of things, the first time to gear down on is church and ministry. You need to take vacations. You need to take breaks. Please don't. Make sure you hear me. We have a work to do. Lots of people lost and unknown without Jesus. I pray that He brings revival here. I pray that I get to see it in the next 40 years. Because I'm going to be 80 and still yelling, Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, if you don't have a church home, find one and commit to it. In the name of Jesus. If this is it, it is time for Mission Church to get to work. It is time for us to go to our neighbors, to our colleagues, to these internationals. And here's the deal. What we're, not, what we're, what we're doing, what we've learned from this is not waiting on, well, Pastor Justin better come with this you know, huge event for us to come up with so that we can finally do this. No, you come up with an event. You own it. And we'll support it. Because right now we need people reaching out to internationals and we need people on that campus. We need people, you, God has sovereignly placed you in your neighborhood so that you can reach that neighborhood for Jesus. That's why you live where you live. It's time for us to go. You can't wait on, well, isn't that what we pay Pastor Eric to do and Pastor Justin to do and these guys to do? No. 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 This is what we do because we are missions. Church, will you join me? Lastly, this I'm so thankful that many of you have, and that the testimony that I have this morning isn't the testimony of so many of my other friends. I love you, I love being one of your pastors. Over the years, man, there's some ups and downs, tough things that have happened. Yeah, nights, grievous nights for me. Many of you, many of you in this room have been shoulder to shoulder. So, let's go. We're not alone. Jesus is with us and we should be with each other doing the work of ministry. All right? All right. Love you guys. Let me pray for you.